Horror Family. For those of you tuning in for the first time, welcome. I'm Kate, co-president of this club slash horror show. Uh, my other half, Chris, uh, has his hands full and won't be able to join in the debauchery today. But do not worry, I'm not alone. I have with me today my beautiful, brilliant guest star, Emma, who just Hello. happens to be my sister. <laughs> Emma, say hi. <laughs> hi, guys. Um, and to go with the theme of confusing our audience, we aren't covering a horror movie this episode. We're going to be covering an entire show. So, Emma, do you want to say at least what um, – do you want to say what show that we're doing this episode? Yes. So um, after much listener demand, we are going to be doing Bly Manor. So we're not going to do a play-by-play because we think that might be a little much. What we are going to do instead is kind of go over some of the high points, some of the fun facts you may not know about it, and really kind of focus on their relationships and discussing what genre, genre we think this really fits into. Big shout out to Sam from Ohio who recommended Bly Manor. They are a club member and um, have recommended a bunch of other movies that we definitely need to cover on this podcast slash club slash whatever you wish to call it. So big thank you to Sam. Like Emma said, since this show has a runtime about um, 10 hours, we're not going to walk through each each minute like we do normally with the rest of the films that we've covered. But that does give us a chance to deep dive into the best aspects of the show. And Emma is going to be telling us a bit about the multiple books that this show draws from, most notably The Turning of the Screw, which I did not know until you told me that. Yeah, we sure will. We'll talk about The Turning of the Screw as well as actually a couple of other novellas that kind of got infused into Mike Flanagan's uh, reinterpretation of that original story. And by we, we mean Emma, because I don't know how to read, and I have never read The Turning of the Screw or any of the other multi- – how many books she are there? She phoned me in. She said that there's a literary piece and that she would need some help. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, I got to read. <laughs> I promise I know how to read. Now, let's do a little mini segment, because I already know you very well, Unfortunately Emma. for Kate. Um Pretty well, I might say. I know you pretty well. But the rest of the club does not. And so it's only natural for them to view you um, with suspicion and react to your guest hosting as a hostile mutiny of sorts. Well, let's so not put that idea I just in wanna, their head. <laughs> I just want to assure everyone that Emma is not only a longstanding member of this club, as of today, as our thank you for coming on the show, she will hold the title of club officer. Which position? Well, that's a great question, Emma. Um, it's kind of all up to you. So I've devised a little test. Surprise. So Emma does not know about this test. This is the first she's hearing about this test. She did not get oh to Lord. study this test. Emma, we're going to test your horror savvy. I don't know. I've watched, I've watched some I, stuff with you and dad. I think I can, I can hold my own. Would you, would you say that you're like a horror movie enthusiast? No. Short to the point. I love it. Now, I have five questions. Um, they all concern movies that we have covered on this show, and your final score will be used to determine your club ranking slash your club officer position. Will you usurp my role as president? Will you serve as our modest yet humble club custodian? It's really in your hands. On your mark, oh God. get set, go. What color is Freddy Krueger's sweater? Red, and it's striped. Or orange striped? Orange. It's orange. <laughs> Do you want multiple yes. choice? I didn't think it'd start like this. Um, we have A, red and green, B, red and yellow, C, red and black, D, red and blue. Didn't help you the uh, way you thought it green, would, did you? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's red and green. In Scream, what is rule number one on Randy's list of rules for surviving a horror movie? Don't go up, don't have sex. Yes, hey. oh my God, yes, that's it. Ding, ding, ding. Um, all right, number three, what was the first horror film nominated for a Best Picture Oscar? The Shiny? Oh, that's a really good guess. And that's actually my multiple choice. It is not. It is The Exorcist. Wow. It actually had 10 nominations in 1974. Wait, got nominated for what? Uh, a bunch of things, including Best Supporting Actress for... Um, she did a great job of dislocating her head. You know, if that doesn't get you an Oscar, I don't know what does. Moving right along. Question four. Who is responsible for releasing the deadly virus in 28 Days Later? I thought 28 Days Is Later a? was a rom-com. So, Emma, you're thinking of the Sandra Bullock rom-com from 2000 called 28 Days. <laughs> I'm talking so not about... there. I think we kind of know which, which realm I live in. Yeah, I'm talking about a very different movie. So, 
who is responsible for releasing the deadly virus in 28 days later? Is this later? the one that has something to do... I, this might be contagion. Uh, spoiler, maybe. I actually don't know oh, if this is accurate. God. So you can probably listen. You probably don't need to skip ahead. Um, is this... It was a monkey that got let out? It was, yes. So I'm not going to blame the monkey. <laughs> I don't, give um, me multiple choice. Give me so multiple choice. So is it... <laughs> Okay. Is it A, a taxi driver? B, animal <laughs> the taxi rights activist? driver let the monkey C, out? What, what Homer Simpson's bit C, is it? C, bioterrorist, or D, the Chinese government? Which is it? I'm sorry, it? what was C and D? You weren't no. even listening. Is it A, a taxi driver? B, animal rights activist? C, bioterrorist? D, the Chinese government? B. Correct. It was animal rights activist, which let out a I rabid am doing monkey. Quite Quest- well. Let me just say. You you've gotten two out of four so far. Has so it only yes, been two questions? you're doing great. It's been four questions and you've gotten two right. So moving on to question five. How many people does Jason kill in the first Friday the thirteenth film? Okay, let me let me think this through. So okay. he kills his parents. That's two. He kills maybe a sibling. Or is that Jamie Lee Curtis? I'm gonna Jamie Lee Curtis does not kill no, 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 anybody. No, no, no. I'm trying to, to remember if he killed a sibling or not. I'm going to round it up to I'm gonna, five. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat the question. How many people does Jason kill in the first Friday the 13th film? I will give you multiple choice. Is it A, Do I none, automatically get disqualified B, if it's multiple choice? Because I feel like so far I've gotten them all right. No, you don't get disqualified. You don't get then disqualified. Haven't I gotten them all you right? Got, you got animal. N- no. I got <laughs> Freddy Krueger. Oh, you, you know what? You, you got you got you got three right, out of four because you, you said the I'll take the extra point. All right, I apologize. I apologize. Cheating. Okay, so you, you have, have it on four. record. This is question Kate five. Is cheating her sister. I like feel she like you're stalling. I feel of life. like you're. I feel like you're stalling a little bit. How many people did Seven. Jason kill in the first fight of the? Um, he killed none. I don't know if you remember, but Jason was not in the first fight of the thirteenth so film. That was Mrs. Voorhees. <laughs> If you think that was mean, surprise, there's a bonus Wait, lightning what was the round. Answer? He didn't kill and any because he wasn't in it? He, he wasn't in the first movie. It was his mom. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, re- <laughs> I was thinking of Halloween. All right, so you have, you, seems like you have Halloween. the same weaknesses that Chris did. I was thinking of Halloween. Yeah, I, I could tell you thought it was Halloween. I tried <laughs> to guide you back. I was already on the bullshit. <laughs> I really did. You were already going down that highway, but you're, I feel like again, you're stalling from the lightning round. So this lightning round is called name that horror villain. I'm going to give you a brief description. You have three seconds, no multiple choice to tell me the names of these villains. These are not limited to the movies we have covered on the show. Are you ready? Great. Well, away we go. He rides a tricycle and enjoys puzzles. Name that pretty little dude from Saw. Good. The original killer clown from outer space. Who is it? Pennywise the clown. Good, yeah. He likes stabbing ladies in showers and wearing his dead mother's clothes. Name that psycho. He lived in a motel. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's been three seconds, but I just got to hear what you have to say. Pass. He likes stabbing ladies in showers and wearing his dead mother's clothes. It was like a weird old person first name. It was like, um. Like Ward. Like Norman, maybe? Yeah, then Norman. It's Norman Bates. All right. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice oh, Chianti. Oh, I know this one. It's Hannibal Lecter. Very good. And finally, for all the marbles, the big one. What is my birthday? May. Oh, no. 25th. Yes, 1993. <laughs> I was kidding, Kay. I obviously know your birthday. That was just a test to see if you're a good sister. But you passed. Well, you did okay. <laughs> but you know what? You've more than earned yourself the rank of senior vice president. Yes, such a good sport. Give her a hand, folks. I'm impressed. I think you did pretty well overall. Thank you. I think that some of the movies we've watched slash that I've been traumatized by have have really stuck with me. Like what? What are you talking about? Well, I mean, I remembered a lot of this stuff, even though I feel like you and dad have watched a lot of it. But then I think some of it has scarred me, like Silver Bullet, among others. You remember what you've seen traumatized while gripping the hands of the handrails of the stairs. Yes, it was really horrifying. His head got lopped off and it sat on the railroad track. It was enough. Shall we move along? All right, give her a hand. Emma, thank you so much for being such a good sport and for remembering my birthday, which is the most important <laughs> and was the true meaning of this quiz. 
Now, let's get back to Bly Manor. Now that you've effectively been hazed, um, let's do a quick cast run through. I think that's probably a good idea. There are a lot of characters in this show. And um, like I said, we're going to be moving fast. Again, spoilers abound. If you plan on watching this show and you don't want it to be spoiled, just pause us and come back to us after you've seen it, after you've oh. dried those tears. We will not be spoiling Hill House, though. I haven't even seen Hill House. Oh, that's good. Thank you for telling me that. I actually did not know that. Okay. All that's right. That's how much I respect not spoiling it. I won't even watch it. Okay. Yes, we definitely will not be spoiling Hill House, which is um, Mike Flanagan's first miniseries of predecessor to Bly Manor. But we will be dissecting Bly. So let's, let's start with the cast of characters. So most importantly, who do we have? We got Danny the Nanny. That's <laughs> Victoria Pedretti. Um... Bay extraordinaire. She was in Hill House. Do you, Emma? Do you know a little bit about like a little bit about Hill House or nothing at all? Um, I know nothing except that people very much liked it, which I'll talk about more whenever I cover reception. Um, and I know that she's in it, and I think the driver, the bad guy driver. Um, I know who you're talking about. The He's bad boy. Yeah, bad boy, um, Peter. Yes, he's bad in it boy too. Peter. Bad boy Peter. So we got Danny the nanny. We got bad boy Peter. They are both in Hill House. They are twins in the show, um, which comes up later whenever we talk about love stories. Actually, because um, long story short, original pitch was that they were going to be the the duo, the couple, and they were like, "Ooh, that might be a hard pill to swallow." After you convinced everyone that you were related. <laughs> Yeah, audience, we really want you to believe in their love. Really, really believe it. <laughs> Just move now they're past siblings. it. Get rid of that. Talk Get it rid out. of it. In the next season, they're siblings again. Just moving right <laughs> along. So we've got Danny the nanny. We have Jamie the gardener. She's played by Amelia Ava. Um, also, She's the real bae. She is. Okay, so I was trying to find, because I always include intro clips at the beginning of this show, and I was trying to find a good um, quote that I really wanted an audio splice for and god damn it i can't find any because everyone has taken every quote from the show and turned them into these mashup music videos of danny <laughs> and jamie the gardener staring at each other longingly to ridiculous music so i can't find any freaking quotes oh you that, can't find any raw clips because they don't have stupid music. music yes that's amazing because everyone is obsessed with danny the nanny and jamie the gardener I mean, I am too, so so no shame there. But we also have Carla Gugino, who is the, spoiler, she's the older version of Jamie. She's the story's narrator. Um, I also knew her from uh, two other of Mike Flanagan's work. One was obviously Hill House. She's, um, one of the, she's the matriarch in Hill House. And then Gerald's Game, which was, an, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's a Netflix original, and I watched it like three times whenever I saw it. I watched watch that one? one with you, actually. Oh, my gosh. Okay, cool. One of the oh, that's right, because I watch it and then I made you watch it the next day. <laughs> and let us not forget, perhaps her best role as the mom from Spy Kids. That's right, Floops, standing O for her, <laughs> standing. O. You know what? That's still a good movie. Fight me. Good for There's you, Carla. There's a, a small handful that stand the test of time. Spy that's Kids. That's one of them. Antonio the Banderas is in that movie, huh? Antonio Banderas is in that movie. I know they have a pretty. Well, I don't. I was going to say a stacked cast, but I think it's mainly just them. I don't. I think stacked is a very generous term for Spy Kids. <laughs> I think join the us next week for our Spy other, like... Kids podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that sounds like so much fun. Let's let's stay focused. All right, so we've gotten through two of the characters. We also have Hannah, the housekeeper, who is played by Tania Miller. Um, obsessed mm -hmm. with her, and then we have Owen, the punny cook. He's played by Rahul Kohli. And then we have the kiddos. We have Flora Wingrave, who is eight. She's an effigy enthusiast. She is played by uh, Amelie B. Smith. B. Smith? I'm not British enough for these names. <laughs> then we have Miles Wingrave, who is 10, and he's played by, that can't be right, Miles Wingrave. Let me, <laughs> let me double, <laughs> you know what? Let me make sure that he doesn't have the exact He is same. a ghost, truly, a Miles Wingrave. He actually is <laughs> playing Miles Wingrave. Oh, no, his actual name is Benjamin Evan Henry. Ainsworth, which is a very solid and very British name. And then we have Henry Thomas. Oh, that, this is why I get confused, because Henry Thomas is um, who plays Henry Wingrave. And he yes. also, I knew him as the patriarch from Hill House, and then also as Elliot from E.T. Aww. Like he the grew little up pretty boy. well. Elliot. 
Well, I assumed you didn't mean E.T. <laughs> I guess that was confusing. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if you played E.T.? I'd be so happy. <laughs> then we have who Emma has already introduced as bad boy Peter, Oliver Jackson mm. Cohen. Again, he is from Hill House. Also, he is from the um, remake of The Invisible Man, which I watched in preparation for this movie. I didn't have to. He's not really in it. I, yeah, that's kind of what I was going to ask. Like, <laughs> that was, how great was his performance, Kate? He's not in the movie. Like, I, So like, subtle. It was so subtle. He's, he's in like the first five minutes. Um, yeah, I didn't need to do that for you guys, but I did. And then finally, I mean, there's a bunch of characters, but finally for so far, we ha- or finally for this podcast, we have Rebecca the Dead Nanny, who is played by Tahira Sharif. And well, that, that little moniker is not nearly as sweet as Danny the Nanny. Danny Rebecca Nanny's- the Dead Nanny. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I didn't come up with these. I mean, I did, but it's not my fault she's dead. Now, <laughs> the next thing that I always do, and this I think is very interesting for this episode, is picking a genre. Um, so I always pick a film genre for every single show. So far, they've ranged from supernatural horror all the way to corn horror, which I think we have five corn horrors so far i think that if if you ever have merch you should definitely have some corn horror merch and you should just have popcorn kind of like coming in from the sides of the shirt it's like haphazardly i can i mean i can make a shirt yeah (laughs) guess what you're getting for christmas Uh so i I actually can i give you a suggestion for this film genre because i'm familiar with you kind of improvising your own and i for this one i do have a suggestion yeah go ahead I think this should be love horror. Cheesy. Well, but, I mean, but or I call it love because lo- love is horrifying. So I mean, whichever, whichever it's you very, prefer. That's so sad. <laughs> I was going to go with pond horror, but you know what? I, I got to say, I think that, and again, I left the reception up to you. I didn't read what people had to say, um, but I'm pretty sure the argument here is, is this a ghost story? Is this a love story? And again, I can't take credit for that interpretation because the narrator, well, at least the show flat out tells us. We have um, the bride from the opening scene who says, you said it was a ghost story. It isn't. It's a love story. And then the narrator replies, same thing, really. And so I would, I would again, the, the actual genre is pond horror. But is it a ghost story? Is it love is it a love story? Can it be both? Can we consider this horror? Because a lot of people don't think it is, especially after Hill House. Like, and I'm no spoilers for Hill House, but as far as genre, like that was undoubtedly a horror movie. That was a trailer that I showed to, that I showed to Chris and I pitched as an episode that we could cover, and he didn't even finish watching the trailer. Mm. Oh, don't oh, Chris he's fine. too pure. He's fine. <laughs> But this is this is one honestly that I think Chris actually could could watch, and you did watch it, right, Emma? Yes, I did. Okay, no. good. That was the first test. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> How long is this quiz going to go on, Kate? Uh huh. Um, but you are, of course, familiar with Mike Flanagan, right? Yes, mainly through your podcast, to be honest. But once I figured out who he was married to, it was easy to see the connection kind of from the repeat character. So if there's a movie yes. where I see a handful of the same people, I can I have a high s- index of suspicion that maybe Mike Flanagan's behind it. <laughs> That's true. So Hush, you- I watched Hush not knowing yes. that, but now whenever I went to see Fly Manor, I immediately recognized her. I, I think she was Kate Siegel, yeah. Violet or Violetta? Her name is Viola. Yes, her name is Viola. Okay. And yeah, so his wife is Kate Siegel who was in Hill House as Theo, um, also they co-wrote, I think she did the heavy lifting for Hush, which was a show that we covered on this podcast. We did cover that, right? Yeah, you did. That's, okay. that's what led me to go okay. watch it was, because I okay. liked it. Good. it. That was a show we covered on this podcast. Also, she's in Gerald's Game. Um, he just she's they, in, Who is she in Gerald's Game? She was um, the mother of Carlo Gugino's character in a flashback. Oh. Huh. I know. And she was also in oculus was she in hill house yes she was theo in hill house she was a major character in she hill was house. a major character and she was, was gugino was in hill house yes she was the mother the main character okay. the one maybe of the main i should characters. watch hill house you should probably watch hill house. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna you ask you probably... all about it on this podcast it's not about like, hill was house. she in it what about him <laughs> what'd she do <laughs> it's like whenever our mother walks up to us whenever we're on facebook who's that 
<laughs> Who is that? What are like, they I don't doing? Know, Mom, it's someone I don't know. School. I don't Why know. Are you Mom? following them? What are they you up to? You I don't show know, her Mom. a meme. Who is that person? I don't know. <laughs> That's you. But yeah, she's she's in a lot of his stuff, and he he tends to like you said carry the same people um, from project to project, and I thank him for it. But I do I do thank him for not having Danny the nanny date her brother. Well, before we go, I have some really good quotes from Mike Flanagan talking about the ghost story versus the love story. But I I I'm dying to know what other people thought about it. If you can tell us, yeah, absolutely. So, well, first I think you should guess. The critics and the audience disagreed. What do you think the critics thought? Which percentile? And what do you think the audience thought? I'm going to give critics 80%-ish. And I'm going to give audience 70. 70? So close. You're very close. Uh, 87%. Oh, that's good. For the that's critics. really good. And then okay. 62% for the audience. So a little bit oh, that's really bad. <laughs> higher than even you anticipated for critics or like the higher part of that. And then lower for audience. Um, and then what do you think IMDb gave it? I don't know. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it's not that hard of a guess, but 7.4. So it did decently on IMDb. <laughs> oh, no. 7.4 7. is actually extremely oh, good really? for IMDb. Yeah, that's, that's well, very we'll, good. We'll, we'll take it. Um, one of the quotes, I have a couple of quotes I thought were kind of interesting with regard to people's takes on this and what they thought. This one's from Rotten Tomatoes. It may not be as scary as its predecessor, but with plenty of spooky tricks inside its haunted halls and a strong sense of heart, the haunting of Bly Manor is another solid entry into Mike Flanagan's growing horrorography. 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 The verger. Horrorography. The (laughs) verger. Okay, so I, I that like was, that. I think that's a pretty good that. summary of it. One person described it as story-driven with less cheap thrills, comparing it to Hill House. Okay. I mean, I mm, I wouldn't say Hill House had cheap thrills. Well, this person did. They sure <laughs> did. I can't speak to that, but they sure had an opinion. Mm. Emily B. Smith and Benjamin Evan Ainsworth were stars of the series. That one Those I can get the behind. kids. The yeah, they they rocked it. They were extremely, extremely good. And they were actually British, right? Yes, they were. Which Their you can names tell are super British. Because they their accents seemed appropriate and not cartoonish, which is a criticism that seems of pointed. Uh, some of the other characters or cast members. Who would they call cartoonish? Wait, hold on. So who um, – the kids are actually British. Obviously, the uncle isn't. Um, Danny the nanny's not British. Uh, Peter's not British. Who, who's that? Tania Miller is British. Tania Miller is British, and she sounds British. Henry Winthrop? No, he's not. What's his name? Okay, they're called the Wingraves. <laughs> the whole family is called the Wingraves. I mean, but it took long enough to watch Henry. it once. You can't expect me to yeah. recall the names. Uh, the, actor's name, the actor's name is Henry Thomas. Henry, Henry Thomas, I remember when I was watching the first episode, initially I was very irritated because – the au pair is sitting in his office and he the way he is speaking sounds like he's like trying to do a Victorian accent or something, which, spoiler alert, he is not a ghost. So that was not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was really, I thought, oh, well, maybe like this is clever and it's because he's actually from a different era. Mm-hmm. No, I was giving him way too much credit. <laughs> Whenever you hear someone with a bad accent, you're like, well, it's okay. Maybe they're a ghost. They're method acting or something. <laughs> I <don't. laughs> So I tried to give it a little more... Um, a little bit more credit than maybe was due. Okay. So as you can see, there's kind of a uh, a big difference between how, how the critics viewed it and how the audience viewed it. So there are kind of two main issues. One of them was in the pacing slash expectation. So by that, I mean that people thought it, it took a lot to get a little bit out. So there were big, long episodes with lots and lots of story development, and then there would be like a small punchline to it. And so it kind of felt indulgent in that sense from the side of Mike Flanagan. And then other the other issue in that same vein was that people wanted it to be a Hill House in that they wanted it to be a traditional horror, oh, and it wasn't. Yeah. And yeah, it's I not. mean, even for myself, so you went into it knowing that it was going to be a uh, romantic right like it's gonna be a romance of sorts well yeah not because i'm super intuitive it says it on the well for <laughs> those of us who just like went in and said okay i'm gonna watch bly manor and it looks kind of spooky 
it was different than what I anticipated it being, which is less jump scares and more of like a slow burn, which I personally, as someone who isn't, you know, a, a crazy horror person where that that's kind of what I go to horror for, I like the story. So for me, that was good. But I think some other people thought differently. There is, mm. this is one review from a woman named Sanal Sanawani from Google Reviews. And I think it kind of carries a sentiment that I, I saw in a lot of different reviews. So Emily Bia Smith and Benjamin Evan Ainsworth. Were I think s- it's just B. I think we're just bad Americans. Uh, yeah, we're doing our best here. Uh, maybe our British listeners tell us how we fucked up. Thanks. <laughs> Please don't. Just forgive us. <laughs> we need love and support in the, these trying times. <laughs> Kate's very sensey, so we must be. I'm a sensitive girl. <laughs> Uh, be aware of that. Anyway, so yes, this review went to watch Little Flora be so delighted as well as gloomy, combined with maturity and cuteness overload. While Little Miles with, was this handsome boy who had a clear dark side to him, yet was a charmer as well as a protector. What I truly loved was the innocence of it all. All the characters were well written and developed over each episode. However, the story builds up beautifully well in the first three episodes, and then it just it's just fast forwarding from there on till the second last episode, and the story picks up again. The story could have done better without a few lengthy scenes that had no consequence to hmm. the plot. However, the ending does leave you in tears, and you feel a deep, beautiful melancholy that you experience after reading a beautiful poem. And I wholeheartedly agree with all of that. I mean, I'm a I disagree. I mean, I just, okay. Well, I just loved every second of this show. I didn't think that it was slow. I thought it was thorough. Yeah. That made it sound really boring and slow. But I, like, to Imagine me, it just, a movie to me, it wasn't. I don't know. There was so much to look at. <laughs> Quotations. Thorough. Thorough. Cool <laughs> no, it's just, no, well, it's like, so I, I can get you, if you're talking about the love dynamic between Danny and Jamie. Yeah, that's not like there's no meat cute. It doesn't just suddenly appear. It, the whole show is not just about the relationship. So I can see if you are looking through this of, and that makes me feel like your opinion's not valid. And that's not what I'm saying. I can see that if the the main anchor for you for the show, if you're the main thing you're interested in is the Danny and Jamie dynamic, which let's be honest is the best part of the show. I can see it being underwhelming except for those really strong episodes. Also, the episode with Hannah, the whole Hannah episode was absolutely fantastic. But I don't know. I So I, if it's okay, I'd like to go ahead and start talking about the love story part of it because it's not just Danny and Jamie. Um, I'm going to let you finish. But first, I have a couple of more critical reception comments that I found highly entertaining. Kate may not, but I thought they were great. Okay, I'll sit down. So... <laughs> So the second thing that, like, the second facet that I think people had issues with, as I have mentioned already, is um, the issues with accent. So here's a couple of uh, reviews to that effect. Someone's British fetish being lived out. Oh, my God. People watching at the DMV evokes more emotion than watching this show. <laughs> English That's accents are embarrassing and should mean. be illegal. And finally... There's a lot of death in Bly Manor, but there's no murder more uncalled for than the one of every English accent they attempt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they're being Isn't a little dramatic. Bad, I think some I of the, the uh, reviewers are British, to be fair. So they are probably like, that's not how I sound. But I will say that as someone who I do not think is great with accents in any respect, I think that there were some noticeable blouse. Well, <laughs> I don't care. That's my whole. That's my whole thing. I just don't care. I'm I'm okay overlooking that, obviously. <laughs> also, I'm just not that good at accents, so I didn't notice it. They could be talking with sock puppets, and I'd be like, it's beautiful. So before I talk about Danny and Jamie, I want to talk about the other love stories of this show. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start with my favorite, which is Hannah and Owen. And I want to talk specifically about episode five, which is The Altar of the Dead, which is also the name of another Henry James novel. That one I knew. We know you didn't read it, Kate. It's I didn't okay. read it, but I knew it was a novel. So that whole show, um, you you know which episode I'm talking about, right? It's just all about it's whenever Hannah's mind hopping or dream hopping in the kind of in the middle, maybe episode four or something. <laughs> I literally just well, said it's episode five. I might have spaced out for a, okay for a moment there. Well, I'm gonna say, did you watch this show? So what I was gonna say is, I actually think that that is probably 
maybe not the most exciting of the episodes, but I think it's the, the best written slash most original. It was exciting, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't you didn't have think the, that was exciting. There, there are other episodes that record the, the plot where you're wondering what's going on with the children and that's kind of longitudinally developed. So Hannah's episode is to some extent a standalone, oh. which I don't have a problem with at all. I thought it was the most original part of it. I mean, it is. You could take that out and everything would continue. I think it's a stand. Okay. Mm. Why couldn't you? No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. It, oh my gosh, the whole, that whole episode explains every, all of the questions you've had about Hannah and it sets it up for how she like does her ghost shit in the finale. And it sets up her story with, oh, oh my gosh. Okay. So the whole show, you know that something strange is going on with Hannah. She's this. So the whole show, you feel like there's something weird going on with Hannah. You know that she's like protecting this house. She's fiercely protecting these kids who she loves, but she keeps drifting away into her thoughts. Even whenever we first meet her and Danny the Nanny stumbles upon her next to the well um, and she's like way out of it. And she, here's one thing you might not have noticed. She's touching the back of, she's holding the back of her neck. Oh, that is a nice little subtle. I don't know if nice is the, it's disturbing. An interesting. It's subtle. Yeah, it's subtle. It's interesting. It's disturbing. But the whole show, she keeps drifting away into her thoughts. And this entire episode is inside, takes place inside of her thoughts. And I loved that. And so this is, this is the episode where you, the cracks start to show. And I mean that very literally because for the show, she keeps seeing this crack um, in different places. It's the same crack in different places that isn't there. So there's one in the kitchen wall that she's like, Jamie, like, come, we need to get this crack fixed. And Jamie comes to the wall and there's absolutely nothing there. Um, and then we have her spending all this time alone in the estate's chapel where she's lighting candles for the dead. It's all very suspicious. You're just like, what's the matter with Hannah Gross? So it kind of starts whenever we see Peter Quint being taken by the Lady of the Lake and becoming a ghost trapped in the house. But he learns that he can at least very briefly possess Miles, a little boy. And so this whole episode, we're following Hannah's nonlinear thoughts where she's traveling back and forth in, in circles around these pivotal memories in no particular order, um, which is extremely sweet because she keeps coming back to the memory where she's interviewing Owen for the position. I actually thought that that was really, really sweet and poignant. It was beautiful. And we also get to see as she starts breaking down through her memories and she realizes that she's playing the same memories again and again. And we see Owen kind of like an actor of her thoughts being like, yes, we're doing it again. I don't know why we're doing it again. And he can go back and forth from it. And you'll see these really sweet moments where he's talking to her very sweetly and kind of taking care of her. And then you see these more like scary moments where he's like, there's something wrong with Miles. And then in this final twist of the show, we see Miles, who is possessed by Peter, shove her into a well where she falls to the bottom, breaks her neck. And the last thing she sees before she dies is the crack on the stone wall. And this is just horribly heartbreaking timing because Hannah's realizing this all so, so late. And this is the moment where she's decided she's going to go with Owen to Paris. She's going to let herself be loved by someone she's going to let herself be happy and it's just too late and we have that scene of her chasing owen's car to the edge of the property and she's screaming for him to wait i don't know that's one of the most beautiful i have like a ranking list of like mentally i don't have them written down i'm not totally psycho but i have like a i have a ranking list of the best episodes of television that i've seen and it's a small list um it's, it comes from surprising places. I have an episode of BoJack Horseman that's on there and it's going to stay there forever. But this is definitely on that list for me. Yeah, I um, as much as I like to pick at, at the show, I, I think I see more flaws in it than you do. I think you have more of a loving and, and forgiving eye uh, because yeah, of your fair. loyalty to the horror genre and more importantly, your loyalty to Flanagan. Um, but loyal. I completely agree as someone who has no loyalty to anyone. I'm just kidding. Who has no loyalty? Okay. To, <laughs> Shit. No, All right. Who has no loyalty to Mike Flanagan per se. I thought that that was a beautiful episode. While I do think it could have been a standalone, I thought it was interesting and engaging and I'm glad that they kept it. Um, I think when I say it could have been a standalone, I mean that you could take out that sort of backstory about Hannah and easily transition in you know, slip in the the reveal that um, the boy is actually Peter or is being possessed by Peter. I think you could do that. 
without doing that episode. Would I want them to? Absolutely not. I really enjoyed the episode, but, and that's not really, honestly, that's not the episode that I'm thinking of, but I'm thinking of things taking too long. I know it's not. I know it's not. And I'm, I'm sure there are. So I think you could have given that 30 minutes rather than a, a full hour or whatever it was. Are you serious right now? Yeah, I think you could have. I think you could have done it a little bit shorter. And I don't know. I liked. I really liked the episode. I, I'll leave it at that. I'll, you all can't see Kate's horrified face, but I can. And <laughs> I think I'm hurting her deeply. So I really you liked are. it. For, before oh, y'all come at me, heart. I really did very much like this episode. I love that actress. I think she did a beautiful job. Um, I just I I think my frustrations are not with this episode. This as one of the non essential episodes makes me inclined to be more critical of it. But I like this episode. There are other ones. That, I mean, like for example, the the reveal of the backstory that took you did not need an entire episode of learning about this story um, of the sisters coming to haunt the place. I liked it, but at that point, I found myself kind of getting distracted and having to purposely re re assign my attention. I was looking at my, I would look over to my boyfriend who had been watching the multiple episodes with me and he would be like on his phone texting and things like that just because like it was easy to lose focus. I know what episode you're talking about. I will be honest and say it wasn't my favorite episode and I did probably text during it. I hate to say that, but episode five, I did not. And I, I will fight anyone who says that this should be 30 minutes. And so that includes you. So after this, after this podcast i would like to meet you outside come and get me yeah that wasn't my favorite episode i'll be honest um but the one the hannah one i really really like a lot a lot a lot a lot and i just i very much disagree that it's a disposable episode or that's me being a little bit harsh or i i think that i don't know there's this huge silver lining to that episode where hannah realizes that she is in a very unique position to protect the kids as a like as a ghost she's in a very very special position for that and she doesn't hesitate like she just jumps straight to it i think that you could have kept her episode i think you could have taken really really cut down on the viola perdita storyline no one needed an hour of that it was very much could be shortened down to a 10 minute recollection or storytelling to somebody i think you could have done that easily then i think you could have moved quicker to the climax because you kind of have this rising action and then it's abruptly interrupted by that which I thought there were really sweet parts of that of the you know her forgetting herself and you know taking a boy and thinking that the like taking a boy into the water thinking maybe this is the thing she's missing maybe this is oh my god that was so sad I love those little moments there were such poignant little notes but I thought that that did not sustain an entire episode and then my I think the thing that Kate's really gonna bristle to Mm -hmm. is that while I loved um the uh what's the gardener's name (gasps) <gasps> her name is Jamie. Sorry. While I love Jamie oh my God. and Danny's love story, it seemed oh no, very rushed at the end. I was sold on I was I felt like I was being someone was actively trying to sell me on them in the last episode and then also say, "Well, I hope that you bought it because now I'm going to give you their entire story." And this is what ties the entire show together. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I, would I don't think that at all. A little bit. I'm I think sorry. I needed a little bit more nurturing of sweet moments because everything they had done had been like sort of a prickle, you know, like attempting something. They attempted a couple of things, prickled, then something went right. They were just about to start to get to know each other. Drama, drama, drama. And then now there's their entire love story in the back end of the of the movie, which or the series, which I think is probably what a lot of people had issue with. Not necessarily that people didn't want – love as a component of the miniseries, but I think that it felt it felt uh, shoehorned in, kind of. I didn't feel that way at all. I respect your opinion, even though it physically hurts me. But I didn't, I thought their love story was the most real sort of love story I've seen represented in a very, very long time. And that is because it's, not dramatic it's not flashy it's just it just happens it's just organic they don't even introduce each other or they don't even introduce themselves to each other they just sort of start occupying the same space and then it just happens to them they don't do it for each other it just happens to them because that's what love is at its core love is deep comfort and that isn't something that appears that's something that grows and I really really appreciated that it was slow that 
it was about the children first. Like Danny wasn't, it wasn't like some torrid love affair. It was slow and real. And also let's not forget that that love and comfort had to overcome a lot because Danny is struggling with an absolutely harrowing past with like, God, that scene where she watches, spoiler, watches her husband hit by that car and she's like haunted by him everywhere she goes. She's just haunted by them. I don't think that it's just handed to them at the finale. I, I don't know. I thought that that was such an interesting and painful storyline um, like her backstory about why she's yeah. so traumatized. And I instantly kind of went to see if that was part of any original work. And it was not in, in any of Henry James' older works. And I thought it was such an oddly relatable concept. Like, you know, there's someone that you care about, but you don't care about in quite the right way. And then everyone is under the assumption you do. Something horrific happens to them. And now not only are you burdened with potentially, you know, in your mind thinking you caused that passing, mm-hmm. but everyone's giving – the sympathies to you when it should go to the family and if people knew that they would hate you, you know, at least in your mind. I thought that that was very original. So there's plenty of things in this miniseries that I liked and I would recommend it to somebody else. I recommended it to mom, but I, it doesn't mean that I don't have issues. I I don't think it's flawless. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to think it's flawless. We don't have to, and, but we don't have to talk about how we disagreed the whole time. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. Let me see. No, that's fine. I I I I I see where you're coming from. Um and hold on, let me pull up where I want to talk about. Okay. But I think we also have to give major um respect to the fact that Mike Flanagan took responsibility for showing this kind of story in popular media because it's not seen in popular media, like, off at all. And it was very, very intentional, because Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel, they recognized, so they saw the popularity of Hill House. It was extremely popular, and it was popular with a lot of young viewers. And so they, they're like, whenever they were drafting the second part of this anthology, they were like, okay, cool, Obvi- uh, we got Danny, we want to keep, keep her on board, we want to keep Victoria Pedretti. Okay, obviously we want to, oh, she can be, the love interest can be, this guy can be, Shoot, I forgot his name. Oliver Jackson Cohen. Okay, perfect. It'll be Oliver Jackson Cohen. And just Mm because that's the knee jerk reaction, you're like, okay, pretty girl, pretty boy, love story, bam, done. And they didn't do that. And it would have been extremely easy to do that. And I'm just extremely, extremely impressed. So Julia Bicknell wrote the finale. Um, She was one of the writers, and her wife is also in the industry. And Bicknell said that this story was the sort of story that she wished she had seen growing up which I just think is stupid That's beautiful. incredibly beautiful, and I give them full props for that. I thought it was a beautiful story, and it's the kind of story that I would show to relatives or people that I know maybe more be more – may be more conservative or, you know, not as inclined to go to a love story between two women or two men. I think that this would – anyone would love this story and would relate to kind of the tenderness and the – Desire. Anyone who's been in love would relate to the desire to be protective and to take care of them. And I think, um, I think it did a beautiful job of doing that without kind of playing into tropes or things like that to try to get flashy attention or anything. I'm glad you liked it. I really liked it, but not everybody liked it, which I did not see yeah, coming that's, that's because wild. of the sheer amount of fan videos on YouTube dedicated for, to not liking it. No, for J- oh. Jamie and Danny. <laughs> Janny, Damey, whatever their team name is, they have 8 billion fan videos on YouTube. But Jude Dry from Salon.com does not like their relationship and does not like the way it was depicted. And I, 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 I don't usually like to say this, but I think his opinion is super stupid. So I'm going to read it. Um, he says, while Siegel, so it's Kate Siegel, who is Viola Wingrave, who played Theo Crane in Hill House, and Theo Crane was a, she was a lesbian on that show. So while, he said, while, while Siegel does not speak for the show, she is married to creator Mike Flanagan and played a major queer role in The Haunting of Hill House. That character, Theo Crane, was a hard-parting Lothario who would have fit right in on the L word. Though she also struggled to find love, at least Theo had a gay swagger and a hot sex life. In contrast, Danny and Jamie's 
tepid romance and conventional domestic bliss feels like a major step backwards. I don't, I mean, I can't speak to everybody, but I feel just from my perspective, that would seem like you're trying to pigeonhole an entire, an entire sexual orientation into, oh, it's got to be hot and flashy or right. it doesn't identify X, Y, Z with the way I would perceive that. And I think that that kind of goes against the freedom to love whoever you want, however you want. Thank you. I was like, this seems like you're the one pigeonholing. Yeah, bro. I agree. Like, what are you I talking totally about? Enough. Ugh, that made me mad. Guy from Slate. Yeah, enough. Slate.com. <laughs> Who are they anyway? Just kidding. Not reading you ever again. <laughs> I also wanted to just take a moment before I move on to the other love stories um, to talk about, I wanted to read a couple of things that Mike Flanagan said um, about ghost stories and love stories and how love can be horror. Cause I just thought they were really beautiful. Cause he talks about his wife um, and he talks about how he doesn't think that the love story and the ghost story contradict each other. And so he says, um, he starts talking about his wife and he, and he talks about uh, Hill House too. And he says in season one, aka Hill House, we talked a lot about how the different, about all the different things that a ghost could be. And we talked about a ghost being a wish. And that question of, I have found someone that I love more than anything in this world. One of us has to die first, more likely than not. So what happens to my life after they're gone? And that's one of the most uncomfortable, upsetting, and haunting questions that I've ever wrestled with eternal internally. That's so sad, but so sweet. <laughs> I know. It, he talks specifically about Kate Siegel, and he talked about, like, whenever we got married, it's something that he just always thought about, and he says, and I'll never have a good answer to it, and I'll always be scared of the different answers to it. And what else is horror? It's the things that you're scared to look at. That's incredibly deep and insightful. I mean, it's like thinking about the loss of a loved one, you know, you know, you can understand the inevitability of losing a parent, but that doesn't mean that you want to address that at all. No, thank you. Now, before I, but I want to hear very, very badly. I want to hear about the different novellas. Um, But first I just want to briefly touch on the two other love stories um, that I thought were really beautiful. So Mm, let me rephrase that I thought were interesting because first <laughs> I'm going to start say, with I Peter think, and Rebecca. I think I know one of the couples and I don't know how beautiful <laughs> I, I thought they were. <laughs> I don't think it was very beautiful. First, okay, one of them's lovely and one of them isn't. <laughs> the one that isn't is Peter and Rebecca. So that's Rebecca the dead nanny and Peter the bad boy. Their love is a love, but it's a very toxic love. It's an extremely tragic love. Um, and I like the I like watching them in their own world and what they see that their love is conflicted with what other people are outwardly talking about and describing their love. So Hannah does not play games. And Hannah was really direct with Rebecca about her, like, she's like, I don't trust that dude. Like he's bad news bears. And Owen, and this is, this is again, the dichotomy of Hannah and Owen that I love them so much. Owen's a lot more subtle about it. And he, but he, but he agrees, but he says, um, this is a quote directly from the show. He says, the sweetest honey is loathsome in its own deliciousness and in the taste destroys the appetite. He says that whenever Rebecca runs off with Pete or Peter and that's a line from Romeo and Juliet, but he leaves off the most important part, which is, and I quote, therefore love moderately. Oh, very nice. I didn't think that up. That's a little, little fun. Yeah, it's very good. Now who reads books (laughs) and there's, there's, one other thing that I, I'm, I mean, there's a lot of really nifty things that you're probably not going to miss. I'm, I'm probably not going to catch the first time. Um, but one of the really cool ones that I do like is the flowers where we, we have Peter Quint in the flashbacks. We see Peter Quint giving flowers to Rebecca that he's plucking from the garden, from Jamie's garden. Um, and he says something like, like beautiful flowers for a beautiful lady. I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. And then later we have Miles do that. But to Danny, and it's super unsettling. Yikes. <laughs> and you don't know why it's unsettling, but you don't like it, and it's not cute. Yeah, I, I really liked that um, that kind of dichotomous uh, experiences with the flower picking. Um, I also I one thing that I want to challenge is: Do you think it's do you think it is love? Right, because we described it as toxic love, which I think is a perfectly good way of describing it, but. Can that be love? I'm not. I'm really not sure that it could, can. That's a big question, and I'm not going to answer it because I can't. <laughs> I know I, that, that'd be opening I just a whole can't. can of worms. That I'll pause it. That I think it's not love, but obsession, maybe or infatuation. I don't know. It's not healthy. 
we could agree on that. The only other love story I wanted to touch on was that between Henry and the kids, which I think is just so, so sweet. And it's slow. It's really, really slow. Um, but whenever they find, whenever he finally reunites with them and finally like grows a pair, it's just really touching. Um, and I also just wanted to make a note, speaking of things that you probably might not have caught, um, Flora mentions her friend, the little boy that has a, has a weird face that drowned in the lake. She mentions that friend to Uncle Henry, and he, and, and he tells her, yeah, I also had an imaginary friend. It was a soldier who I was afraid of. And in order to stop being scared of him, I had to invent a story for him so that we could play. And so in episode eight, um, we see all of the hidden ghosts at Bly Manor. We see the plague doctor. Um, we also see the soldier. And you might not have caught it, Ooh. but whenever... Whenever they go into the chapel, I can't remember exactly who it was or what scene it was, but it's the chapel and it's nighttime. And whenever they go into the chapel and they never address it, just like the hidden ghosts in Hill House, because there's a lot of hidden ghosts in Hill House, um, just on the left side of the wall of the chapel in the dark, there's a soldier just standing at attention, just standing there, um, which is really creepy and also really sad because it makes you realize that all these people and like uncle friend, uncle Henry's imaginary friend is a real person who had been at Bly so long that he couldn't remember who he was. Yeah. That's so sweet. The idea of giving someone an identity so that they, you know, it, it calms them and placates them. That's so sweet. That's so sad. Speaking, speaking of um, ghosts, I just want to bring up the little boy who's like Flora's friend. And I want to talk about the dolls. Cause that was something I was like, what the hell is up with the dolls? And I, you don't, I did, at least I, it took me a while to figure it out, but the little boy is moving the dolls in the dollhouse to tell Flora where the ghosts are. And that's oh. why Flora, I know it's really clever, but that's, that's why Flora and um, Miles are so freaking weird at night. How are we supposed to know that? Playing though? these weird games. Hmm? I mean, I knew that there was some sort of protective element just because, I don't know, I, I, thought, I thought that was a nice twist to it that they were really um like whenever they locked her in the closet i knew that there was something more to that um is there a way that as as viewers that we could have figured out that the ghost was moving the 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 effigy it's just something that it's just something that you see over time because for a long time you don't even know the little boy ghost exists but i really like just like you said with the whenever they lock her in the closet and you're like why the hell would you be locking her in the closet um and it's to keep her safe. And then like random things like we'll be like, oh, can I have a glass of milk? Oh, I need this. Oh, actually, can you do that? Just like stalling. So I thought that was um, a very interesting little tidbit. There's a bunch of other stuff. This is this is definitely a show that's worth a rewatch because there's so much stuff that you will not, that you, there's no way you can catch until you go through it a second time. One more thing I want to mention real fast. I want to hear about the, the books. One more thing. Um, Mike Flanagan, because again, I'm obsessed with him. He did the... Shining sequel that just came out, Doctor Sleep. I didn't know that. So, um, he, yeah, and he he leaves a lot of little shining Easter eggs in the in the series. For example, um, Danny the nanny, her hostel in London, the room number is two one seven two seventeen, and um, I didn't see this until someone I I had to go to like a some YouTube video to show me, but it says on whenever Rebecca is the nanny. On her desk, she has these little Scrabble tiles, and they say red rum. Ooh, spooky. I know. Spooky. All right, now tell me about the books. Sure. So as Kate has mentioned, uh, the sort of the primary storyline is comes from a 1898 novella by Henry James called Turn of the Screw. So the overarching narrative of Bly that's following that storyline is basically that there's a governess who's plagued by visions of malevolent spirits um, after taking a job caring for two orphan children at a remote English countryside. So where it differs a bit is that in the story, it actually, Henry James leaves it to the readers to decide whether or not the apparitions are real at all, or if the governess was actually just going mad. Um, and there's also kind of, it's less of a happy ending. I know at least the the boy dies in it, in the arms of the au pair. So it's just, oh, it's God. more of a, of a psychological thriller in that sense that you don't, you never really get closure on what's going on. That's so sad. I think that that's so interesting i may really i definitely think i'm gonna read it next halloween or like next uh spooky season mm. so there were several adaptations of it the most successful of those was in 1961 with a, a, a novel or not a novel but a movie called the innocence uh, i know it was actually I know the innocence 
Yeah? I haven't seen it, but I know what it is. Yeah. Well, it was actually so well received um, that Flanagan was noted as having said, we saw little upside in trying to improve upon that adaptation, which is pretty impressive. That's okay. Someone liked that movie. So that sort of that main storyline is comes from the turn of the screw novella. The part that surprised me was actually that there's other novellas that Flanagan weaves in that are also written by Henry James. So there, the title of every episode is actually named after a novella by Henry James. So mm-hmm. that includes The Great Good Place, The Altar of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Those are all titles of um, short stories. Um, and then The Romance of Certain Old Clothes, which is the name of one episode. You can you may be able to guess which episode this That's is. That's the this one with is, Viola. Exactly. So this yeah. is the one where – Viola falls gravely ill, Perdita kills her, marries the widowed husband, decides to break into the chest of gowns, and then she ends up being murdered by the spirit of uh, Viola. So those are kind of the two through lines from the Henry James novels. There's also, you could argue that The Jolly Corner, which was one of his uh, short stories, that The Jolly Corner, which was about basically a man in America who who goes to buy a home in America, is plagued by his what his successes would have been had he moved to America at an earlier time. That's tangentially supposed to be related to Bad Pete's storyline with his torment and and he and uh, the dead Danny wanting to go to America and run away before they end up dying. Um, I think that's a bit of a looser adaptation because I don't mm-hmm. – I mean, I think you could – take it or leave it that that they're adapted from the, from each mm-hmm. other. I personally think that that's part of the reason that this mini series which you know as I've mentioned some critics said that it could have been shorter. I think part of the reason it's long was because Flanagan really wanted to do this sort of ode to Henry James and and how he was writing it. So he really put a lot of time putting storylines together from different novels and novellas and so I kind of think that's part of the reason it ended up being so long and some people you might say that's a great thing that he did and other people might say maybe he's a little bit indulgent and by might you mean did (laughs) I liked it I think overall it's very good okay I'm glad to hear you say that that makes me happy well guys I think that we're gonna need to wrap it up around here so I want to go ahead and I know this is not a movie but I do want to include this on our list our tumblr ranking um you can find that at nightlighthorrormovieclub.tumblr.com. We have a um, a movie scoreboard that ranks very, very poorly, um, ranks all of the movies we've covered so far. And I do want to see if we can slot this in somewhere. Um, uh, we have at the top, the top three, we have The Thing, Jennifer's Body, and A Quiet Place. And down at the bottom, we have Prom Night, Jeepers Creepers, and Darkness Falls. So let's work our way down. I think that's probably the most fair. Yes, I think that's a good deal. Emma, I'm going to let you slot it because I'd love to have your input on the on the scoreboard. Well, it's very generous. I know that this has kind of become a bastardization of what you it and Chris has. wanted. So let, let, me, let me further yes. bastardize it. If I recall, you and Chris have talked about this, and I agree with you. I think A Quiet Place is a little it's high up for what high. it is. Part of me wants to put this above no. Quiet Place. But do I think it's above like – a shiny. No, no, I don't. I really don't. Read me some of the ones that are under. Okay, a this Quiet is bullet. All right, so we have Quiet Place, Conjuring, Oculus, American Werewolf, Babadook, Midsummer, Hereditary. Oh, above oh, Babadook. Oh no. Oh, I'm. I was gonna keep going. I thought that I was the pro and you were the con. I wasn't a big fan of. Like, yeah, I love how this is. Quick, you didn't like the Babadook. Emma, I'm gonna let you slot this. No, no. You no. didn't like the Babadook. <laughs> oh my. No, oh my. Okay. Um. Oh no. Okay. Have you seen Midsummer? Okay. Pick back up from that. Continue slowly from the Babadook. Maybe we can find a happy. I mean, it's gotta. I'm sorry. It's gotta go below. (laughs) It's below Hereditary. It's a democracy, but some are more (laughs) equal than others. Okay, you're right. All right, where would you put it? Hate going Orwellian in this bullshit. I'm sorry. Where 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 would you slot it? Okay, read me a couple more. Midsummer, Hereditary, Scream. That Scream is number ten. The Shining, Creep. Hush, Blair Witch Project, 28 Days Later, Not with Sandra Bullock is number 15. It has to go above Blair Witch. Has yeah, to go I agree. So here, here's one. Um, what about Hush? Because Hush is right above Blair Witch. I, They're so different. Di- yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because I love them both. But if I had to pick, I think I would put this above Hush. I could, okay, okay, I can go with that. And then what's above that? Above Hush is Creep. I really liked Creep. 
Some people don't though. I really liked Creep too. Is all right, all right, above Creep is The Shining. Is this below The Shining? No. I'm sorry. No. Okay. It's a very thin line there. All right. Let's say that this is number 13, which is below Creep, but above Hush and the Blair Witch. Yeah. I'm down with that. Number 13. All right. Great. Cool. Yeah. Okay. We didn't fight that bad. <laughs> I think we did a pretty good job. We did good. Okay, if you guys want to check out our list, you can find it, like I said, nightlighthorrormovieclub.tumblr.com. Um, another big thank you to Sam from Ohio for recommending this show. Uh, if you guys have recommendations, you can shout out to us, just like Sam did on our email address. It is nightlighthorrormovieclub um, at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on any of our various social meds. Um, Emma, do you have anything else that you'd like to add? If you like this podcast, make sure that you talk about us to other people who you think might like it. Um, that's what I've done and have gotten several of my friends kind of listening in. Um, help them find it. Also rate and review it on iTunes because that's how we share it with other people who are not um, in our family or friends. <laughs> We're not related <laughs> to us. Um, Do we have a film for next time yet? Oh, no, I don't. Ooh, I think that leaves it up to the members then to leave suggestions. Let's try to make our family watch it with us. Um, Mom's not going to, but we'll watch it while she's around. <laughs> we'll watch it with Dad. Yeah, <laughs> tis the season. Um, well, thank you guys again so much. Big thank you to Emma for um, being brave enough to come on here and let me um, harass her for a full hour. <laughs> I'm scrappy. And I guess that's it. Do you have any other last notes, Emma? Stay spoopy, folks. Stay spoopy. And that concludes our weekly meeting. And we will see you guys next time.